Welcome to the Ag Emerge podcast, brought to you by Ag Solutions Network. Your farming challenges are unique, so your practices should be too. We're here to share emerging ideas, build connections, and provoke conversation. Get ready to improve your soil, your crops, your livestock, and your family's livelihood. I'm your producer, Kim Chase. And I'm your host, Monty Bottens. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the podcast. Before we get started with this episode, we wanted to make sure that you've heard about the Ag Emerge Summer Summit. You're invited to join us August 4th and 5th for a two-day field event where you'll experience soil health and regenerative agriculture in action on the Bottens Family Farm in Cambridge, Illinois. In addition to learning from Monty, you'll hear from experts in their field, including Dr. Joel Groover and Megan Filbert, along with some thought-provoking and motivational stories shared by farmer and mentor Cameron Mills and retired mixed martial artist and UFC Hall of Famer Pat Miller. We'll cover a lot of ground from the basics of cover cropping to the wild side of livestock integration. So come enjoy a chance to think outside the box and get your questions answered as we share years of experience in a full transparency farm tour. Oh, and we won't let you go hungry. All meals during the event are included with registration and we'll also keep you entertained as you'll have a unique opportunity to spend a fun evening in the pasture with dinner and live music at the fourth annual Concert with the Cows. This is an event you won't want to miss. For more information and to get registered, head on over to our website at www.asn.farm. And now, on to our show. Thanks for joining us. Today, we welcome Aaron Martin, founder of Conscious Aging Solutions, connecting others with preventative and conscious approaches to longevity. Aaron is a gerontologist and is passionate about studying the process of aging. And her story gets even more exciting because of her life experiences and the aha moment she had during a trip to a blue zone area that enforced her desire to uncover how food plays such a significant role in our aging process. Erin is certified in regenerative soil advocacy through Kiss the Ground, and she's passionate about soil health while sharing that food is medicine. Erin is also the president of the Tulsa Urban Ag Coalition and the director of Oklahoma's Fresh RX Food is Medicine program. Monty and Erin's conversation is so engaging, so let's jump right in. Welcome to this episode of the Ag Emerge podcast. I'm super excited to be joined by Erin Martin today. Erin, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Erin, I'd love it if you'd take a minute and just tell us your story, your background, and, and how you got started in, in the field that you're in and what its connection to soil is, and, and just weave that story together for us, how that all works. Sure. It's, it's quite a weaving, actually, and it started when I was a teenager, and I had a first job at a retirement community for 55 and older. And you're probably thinking, well, how does that connect to soil health? Well, I will show you exactly. I just, when I was 15, I fell deeply in love with older adults. I loved the wisdom that they had, that they wanted to share in all these incredible stories. I loved the authenticity of older people and how they would say whatever they wanted to say. Uh, they didn't really have a filter and they really had this child childlike 
a sense and nature and energy about them. And, and that's really all I knew at that age at 15. I just loved hugging up on older people. And I started working in, in the kitchen and I served breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I also was a dishwasher server and I could make seven twenty-five an hour, which was like a lot of money for a 15 year old. And I loved it so much. It was the only job that I ever remembered being excited to go to work every single day. And I thought, you know, for so many people that hate their jobs in the world, I should probably go with that. And I was looking for a master's program after getting a business management degree. I thought I wanted to be a lawyer because I wanted to be an advocate, but I realized very quickly that being a lawyer is a small percentage of advocacy and a lot of other paperwork. And so I decided to pursue a master's degree and I wanted to do something with older adults, but I didn't know what. And I had moved actually back to California. I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I was looking for a higher degree and I just couldn't really find anything that specific. And I was talking to my dad and I said, yeah, I, I've toured these schools and it's just like, you know, not very specific. I don't really, really want to work in hospitals and I don't really want to do this and that. And he said, well, Aaron, why don't you do gerontology? And I said, dad, that's not even a degree. I don't know what you're talking about. And, you know, we ha had a chuckle about that. And then I went on to google.com and searched gerontology. And of course, the number one school of gerontology in the entire world was 10 miles away from my apartment at the time in Los Angeles at the University of Southern California. It is the only freestanding school of gerontology in the world. Most of the gerontology programs are absorbed by social work schools. Well, USC's gerontology school is the smallest school on campus, but I tell you what, it is an incredibly impactful school that impacts the world and is a leader in aging. And I still had no idea how this would connect to soil health at the time, but I started really learning about aging and longevity and what the misconceptions were about aging and what we could do about it. And at the same time, I became director of social services over seven affordable housing sites for 62 and older. And that's where I saw in real life, older adults on 15 to 32 prescription drugs. I saw what food they had access to. I saw what services the insurance paid for and didn't pay for. And I am a systems thinker and I watch the money and where it flows. And I saw all the systems and I saw the cracks in those systems and I thought, wow, we could be doing so much better. So I ended up starting to studying the blue zones of the world where people age the longest in the world. I actually traveled to a blue zone in Italy with the University of Southern California at the end of my master's program. And I was studying those things and really looking at the lifestyle of these individuals. And one thing that the blue zones had in common was this local food component. And it really blew my mind that there was Himalayan salt on all the tables, that everyone was drinking out of glass bottles. And I was amazed personally because I'm lactose intolerant and have a gluten sensitivity that I was able to eat full pizzas with no problem. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. What are we doing in the United States? This is really strange. And I just saw all these people that I had revered as a young teenager and thought, wow, we could be preventing so much unnecessary suffering. And it was actually right after that, that I had a mutual friend who was actually the executive director of Kiss the Ground. I was fascinated by her work 
I didn't have a clue how it was connected to mine, but that's when I asked her if I could be enrolled in the soil advocacy program. And I started studying the science of regenerative farming and soil science and understanding deeply the connection of food as medicine, nutrient density, soil health, and how that deeply impacts whether we have the increase or decrease of chronic conditions in our lifespan and how that incredibly impacts not only the individual, but the family unit, the caregivers, the community and our world and the climate and animal health. And it was this huge ripple effect that I had been searching for because there were all these breakdowns, these cracks in these systems that I had really experienced and seen firsthand. And regenerative farming for the first time gave me hope for the future. And that was really just the beginning. <laughs> well, that, that is an amazing story and, and how you got to where you are today. And uh, kudos to your dad who recommended gerontology <laughs> to you, because I don't even think most people know what gerontology is. So uh, yeah. And the fact that you, you happen to be at USC there in the uh, close to uh, the one and only individual uh, college of gerontology. That that's uh, that's pretty amazing. And uh, yeah, people don't understand, and oftentimes it's it's good to explain that people think that gerontologists are doctors. I get that a lot. Um, and gerontologists are more of it's more of a social work based field, so we're more advocates. But gerontologists go into lots of different. Uh, positions. They become policymakers to consult on aging and advocacy for that, or they go into running nursing home care, skilled nursing facilities and of that nature. But I really took the entrepreneurial track. And what they teach us is all the processes of aging. They teach us the psychological changes of aging, the physiological changes of aging, and they really combat myths about aging. And my physiology class of aging, they showed us a big orange carrot and they showed us a small purple carrot. And that was really my first exposure to genetically modified foods. And I didn't know, but that was certainly planting a seed. Hmm. Very interesting. So you mentioned a little bit on the blue zones and how you, you went to a blue zone to study that after, after your completion of your master's there. Talk to us about what is a blue zone? Where are they on earth? And, and there is quite a bit of variation between those blue zones in, in diets, you know, so a lot of people just picked up on what they're eating. You know, sometimes it's a Mediterranean, sometimes it's a all fish, some, you know, depending on that. Um, so talk to us about those blue zones and what impact that had on you and, and maybe what we're missing, uh, from learning from those blue zones. There is a lot of different variations and there's also some deep similarities and there's about, you know, seven to eight arguable blue zones in the world where people age the longest. I always say they die on zero prescription drugs and they die of something called old age. That's not seen very often. That was a myth that I learned in my program was that disease is not a natural part of the aging process. People do believe that we get a disease and we die and that that's how it goes. And I think we've got to really combat that myth. People also think that pain is a natural part of aging, uh, which it's not. It's definitely something that's become more normal. 
in the way that we live. But blue zones have a lot of different things in common. They're all over the world. One's in Italy, one's in Greece, one's in Costa Rica. We actually have one in Loma Linda, California. Mm -hmm. And people ask about why that is. And it has this concentration of Seventh-day Adventists, the religion. And their religion is predominantly vegetarian. And that may not necessarily be the same thing in all the blue zones, but that's what I found was that they just had a more plant-based diet. Doesn't mean they don't eat meat. They just eat meat more rarely, whether it's once a week or once a month, they don't eat it three times a day and over-processed meat and red meat. They don't do that as much. So yes, there's more Mediterranean diet, but I say just a more plant-based diet, but they also have what is a local seasonal diet. So when you eat local food, it maintains its nutrients. We're here, we're used to getting avocados shipped from Mexico and other produce items shipped from other countries. And what happens is over on an average of three to five days, we're losing 30 to 50% of the nutrients in something when it's shipped. So not only do we want the soil health to be great from the farmers, but We've got to source it locally. So that was the, something that I observed that these blue zones had in common. They also were drinking from natural springs as well. So they're not drinking out of plastic and getting all those toxins. They had, uh, they had this uh, ability to really live intergenerationally. So you have someone who's like 115 living with their daughter, who's 95 with their daughter, who's 75. And that's what I found in all the blue zones. I always say food is this giant ripple effect, and it certainly is. It has an incredible ripple effect on humans' lives and can really change the trajectory of people's lives, even if they're more susceptible through their DNA or their heritage. But what I found was that people have this close connection of community, that even in an arguable blue zone in Pennsylvania, they drink and smoke and all those things, but what they all had in common was they had this close, deep connection to themselves, to their families, and to community. And I know, and we know that isolation absolutely is the killer for older adults, that the moment they're isolated and COVID really hurt us in that way with many people experiencing isolation outside of just being older adults, and that that is what really depletes us. It's beyond healthy food, beyond healthy drinking water is this energetic, spiritual, deep connection to each other. And we are not made to be alone. Of course, we want to be independent to some degree, but even plants, they've done studies that if humans are around those plants and there's positive energy around those plants, they actually would excrete more nutrients and specific nutrients to help those individuals specifically. So I think that there's something that Science is a great tool, and then there's things beyond it, uh, that it that we don't necessarily measure that I think the blue zones really show. And that was incredibly exciting for me, not only to have that information to empower my own clients, but to empower myself. And at the same time, it, it's beautiful to watch your business evolve, but also to reflect that back to yourself. And so I made those changes. I was a daily meat eater. I uh, would eat eggs and bacon every single morning. I had high blood pressure, high cholesterol, uh, lots of bouts of depression and anxiety. And it was through changing my diet that I was able to even get to a place 
where I was conscious enough to start diving deeper into emotional trauma and healing myself. And it was really the food that gave me the platform to start really diving in. Because if you don't have the nutrients you need and you're constantly starving or you're constantly not having access to good food and you're running on 50% capacity of vitamins and minerals, you're not even going to be able to be to the point to think, okay, how do I go deeper emotionally or do these higher end kind of work? And that revolutionized my own life. I was able to come off of all my prescription drugs I was on and get healthier, lose weight um, in a healthy way and a sustainable way and be able to really be an example for the work that I'm promoting. Cause I think that's so important that why would you trust me? Why would you trust me if I'm saying all these things, but I'm not doing them myself. And so I do eat local food. I do eat from regenerative farmers. And I take a lot of pride in doing that in, 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 in the integrity of that work. Well, I think one of the things that has really changed if, on a macro view is our ability to move around in the last 200 years. So if I've, you look at from the time that uh, uh, we, we came to be as, a, as people until the last 200 years, we lived in family groups. Uh, we, we drank from the same water source. We ate from the same uh, crops that were grown in the same soils. So we had a very uh, connection of the local microbiome and, and really our, right. you know, uh, we, we developed within the environment that we were just much like right. you know, Northern cattle from England are very phenotypically different than Spanish cattle, you know, and, uh, you know, we just were isolated, separated by geography and environment. And we kind of ad adapted and to those type of environments. And I think what we've done is in the last 200 years, it's nothing for you or me to hop on an airplane and spend a week in California, we can Montana, we can Florida, whatever, mm. we're bouncing all around. And then we're getting food that's, uh, you know, grown in Mexico, Yuma, or, or California for produce. And uh, so the biome, uh, we're not in tune with the with the local biome. And so right. you know, I think that's great, like you're saying, where we can all be sharing biome and sharing those foods and, and uh, kind of get back to how we, it, it's been kind of an abrupt. And then in the last 40, 50 years, we've got lots of uh, chemistry and biological changes that have happened. So very, very interesting. We're taking a short break to share that the Ag Emerge podcast is brought to you by the team at Ag Solutions Network. Rooted in innovation, ASN is committed to leaving the land better than we found it, not simply maintaining it. We're here to help you navigate the balancing act of productivity and building a legacy. From practices to products, ASN is more than a new jug. It's a new way of thinking. So don't be afraid to be different. Be afraid to be the same. Contact Ag Solutions Network today at asn.farm. And now back to our show. So talk to us a little more about, you've got this basis, this understanding of, of what's going on. You, you're coming back to Tulsa. What are, what are some of the steps you've taken in the local community there with food and educating? And, and all of a sudden you, you started bouncing into us wild and crazy regenerative farming types. And, you know, now, <laughs> now you've, you know, you've been at no-till on the plains and, and some other um, connections here in, in the greater uh, region. Talk to us about how all that's uh, come together for you and, and what that means for the people that you work with. Absolutely. It's been an incredible journey coming back to Tulsa. I graduated, you know, from USC and 
Los Angeles and California is very saturated with a lot of healthy living understanding and they grow a lot of local produce there. And I really wanted to bring what I learned back to a place where I grew up, but also a place that desperately needed the information. Oklahoma has some of the worst health in the nation. It has the worst nursing home care in the nation. It has a lot, a lot of problems and we're called green country. So you would think we could grow some food here. And, you know, Tulsa is also the home for the 1921 race massacre that happened. And so of course, just like a lot of cities were incredibly segregated and we have a food desert, just like a lot of places in the United States in North Tulsa, where predominantly most black Americans live. And during the pandemic, I was doing, before the pandemic, I was doing lots of public speaking, trying to get some of the word out about this information and going into long-term care places. Well, of course, when the pandemic hit, that wasn't happening. And so I had a lot of downtime and I was connecting to a lot of the food movement at the time. It was interesting because obviously the cracks that we already had in society were incredibly exposed during COVID, one of, one of which being food access and food quality. And so there were all these opportunities to volunteer in food distributions and different things like that. So I kind of got the lay of the land and tried to see who's doing what and what are you know the needs of the community. And it was through that time that I got connected to the Tulsa Food Security Council. They had a subcommittee on a fresh RX program. A fresh RX program is, has been done many, many times all over the nation. Around 200 fresh RX programs have been done. And that's essentially where a doctor prescribes fruits and vegetables to people with a certain chronic condition. Lots of the fresh RX programs have been done with people with type two diabetes, because I think that's a chronic condition that we've studied enough to know that can be reversed with diet and exercise. And so that's something that they attack. A lot of the fresh RX programs have a lot in common, one of being they attack type two diabetes, but the other one is they do a morphed uh, hybrid version of providing fruits and vegetables, but also with nutrition and cooking classes. Because obviously you can't throw a bunch of produce at someone who is used to going to McDonald's every day and expect them to know what to do with it. So really empowering people, uh, teaching them how to fish in a sense, and being able to really heal themselves with produce. Well, they had a subcommittee here in Tulsa, a doctor in North Tulsa at a clinic called Crossover Health Services. He saw that his patients were compliant in their medications. They were compliant in their doctor's visits, but they still had uncontrolled type two diabetes, which means you have an A1C, a hemoglobin level that is over an eight. So if you're below like a 5.6 or so, that's considered you don't have diabetes. If you're between like a 5.6 and like a 6.5, that's kind of pre-diabetic. And then over that is diabetes. And if you're over an eight, you are at extreme risk for a catastrophic health event. So you are more likely to have a stroke, to have kidney failure, to have amputation, some of these people have already had amputations. And we have, uh, in Oklahoma, the seventh leading cause of death is diabetes. We have five zip codes where most people are dying from diabetes. Well, three out of five of those zip codes 
are in this North Tulsa area. So lots of people dying from diabetes. This doctor saw the issue. He said, there's something called social determinants of health. It's all the things outside of a clinic setting that we don't affect. Relationships, emotional health, transportation, food access, you name it. Everything outside of a clinic setting, everything that has to do with us as whole people, as we are. And he said, you know, we need to do something about this. So he had gone to the Tulsa Food Security Council. They had really built all the nuts and bolts of the program. They had the community partners. They had where we're going to distribute from, where are we going to store food, how the program's going to go, all of these types of things. And I joined the program or the subcommittee and they said, you know, we really need someone who will fundraise for the program because the question is always who's going to pay for it. <laughs> and then who's going to administrate this program and really execute it. And it was at that time that the leader of the food security council, she said, you know, Aaron, I understand this is really your thing. And this is really what you love to do. And, and, and you've raised money before and, and we would like you to do this program. I said, absolutely. Uh, I would love to do it. Had some free time <laughs> during the pandemic. And, but now it's really, really become my main focus because what I did was at first they wanted to source the food from maybe Amazon or Walmart or just from the food bank. Well, having this regenerative farming and soil health knowledge, I was like, nope, if I'm going to do this program, if I'm going to fundraise for this program, if I'm going to give my energy to this and really focus and execute this the way it should be, we've got to take this another step. We can affect and revolutionize people's health and people that desperately need it. But what's all, would be a larger ripple effect is if we only source local regenerative produce because it'll be local, so it'll be more nutrient dense. It'll be regenerative, which you know helps every single thing that we can think of. So this is what I want to do. If we get a chance to get any produce into anyone's mouth, at least it'll be nutrient dense, right? So they said, Aaron, there's no way. There's no way you're going to be able to do that. There's no way you're going to be able to do that year round. How are you going to do that? And I, I just said, just watch me. <laughs> and uh, uh, I just, I have determination and I, I also don't say things uh, that I'm not going to execute on. And I was determined and we certainly turned over stones to find these local urban regenerative farmers. And we were able to fundraise to feed 50 people from this clinic for an entire year. Every two weeks, they get a local produce box or bag full of produce. They also get a nutrition class and a cooking class once a month. And we are actually 11 months into that first 12-month program. And we have seen some incredible results. Not only have we built a cohort of about 20 local farmers who provide to this in Tulsa. We have had to go outside of Tulsa and there are some challenges, which I'm happy to talk about. Uh, we've, we've built some in Oklahoma City and then in kind of the tri-state area, Arkansas, Missouri, but very close within the borders. So it's still very close. Our farmers uh, usually harvest on Monday or Tuesday. We get the food Tuesday and it's distributed Wednesday. So it's a really fast turnaround nutrients should be maintained for the most part. And we have had incredible results. We've had 37 out of 50 people have a reduction in their A1C level. 
And these studies have been done before. They estimate that if you can reduce someone's A1C by one to 2% and take them from uncontrolled diabetes to controlled, you're actually saving the healthcare system 16 to $24,000 per person per year. And out of those 37 people, the average reduction in only six months was 1.98%, which means we've saved the healthcare industry $750,000 per year, if they maintain this, of course, just with 50 people and $150,000. We raised, our budget was 150, we raised 185. We had to buy iPads for everyone because we couldn't do, do in-person cooking classes at the time. So we bought 50 iPads, and we were able to do this. And people have, we have some incredible success stories. One, you know, lost 40 pounds, came off of half their medications, very happy, dating again, you know, like just affecting all of these incredible things. We've had many similar extreme stories. We've had people go from a, well, I mean, we had people with an A1C of a 14, 14, 12, 10, super, super high brought them down below an eight in six months, and they just continue to be seeing these results. And it is my belief that we have exponentially increased the potential of this through sourcing regenerative farming. And we've also assisted, I teamed up with Jimmy Emmons, and we have assisted four of our farmers to get funded by the NRCS for hoop houses, where they were all, you know, it was strange. They all were not approved before, but after a few meetings with us, they were magically all approved. And so we've not only really advocated for the participants and our local community partners and our funders have made this happen and all our teammates, but we, but the farming component has been so beautiful in that the farmers, it creates this whole new market for farmers, for regenerative farmers. If we ask them to grow something new that maybe they didn't know they could sell, they, we guarantee we're going to buy it. They know that when they're growing this food that it's being used as food as medicine, it's going to people that desperately need it, and it's making this incredible impact. So it's seeing the participants embody this health and wellness is one thing and has really just been a beautiful experience. And then empowering these farmers, these local farmers, to rely on a new market to feel a deeper purpose than they already feel because farmers already do has just been it's been a mind-blowing experience and we have just fundraised for year two to enroll a hundred new people and we raised three hundred thousand dollars in the last four months and this i always tell people i have raised more money i raised millions of dollars in california i've served 700 low-income seniors with a team of people this but this, that Fresh RX, Oklahoma, it's, it's, it's just everything. It's all the culmination of even my personal experience and understanding and what's going on in the world. And it is shooting a laser beam and creating this massive ripple effect that I couldn't even have imagined and just so grateful to even be a part of it and to support it. Well, I'm thankful you took the time to walk us through all those components that <laughs> happen because it is a complex system. And yeah. just for a little fun, there's a reason why Jimmy Edmonds is the godfather of the Black Cat <laughs> Mafia. 
because yes. you know, NRCS wasn't given those uh, equip grants for the hot houses, but they got Jimmy on the phone and he said, I'll make you a deal. <laughs> can't refuse, you know, and uh, then the hot houses come. So no, I, he's definitely an advocate and knows how to help get yeah. things done. And, and that's, that's outstanding. So 37, just in your own experience. So I was writing some notes here, 37 out of 50 had a reduction in their A1C, a significant reduction, likely able to get rid of their and I'm sure a portion of those were able to eliminate off the, you know, supplemental insulin pills and those kind of yep. things. But you said something right after that and, and then, then moved on. And I want to point it out. You says, these research studies have been done before. Yeah, it's already been done. So here, here's the bad part. It's been done before. You did it. It happened again. Okay. Why? Why is this not just standard protocol, especially with those dollars you were talking, saving $16,000 to the healthcare system per person per year, your total program with 50 people looking at saving, you said, I think $700,000 or something. Why don't they just give half of it to you and and you'll go ahead and feed the rest of Tulsa and and we can keep on going. But I mean, how do we, okay, how do we make this happen, Aaron? How do we get the doctors, the nurses, the dietitians, the nutritionists, all of the medical blob, if you will, to pay attention to this and tune in to regenerative farming? So I'm, I'm going to take us two directions. One is how do we get the healthcare community plugged in to do it? Step one. Step two is how do we get the agriculturalists? So the farmers, agribusiness distribution plugged into it. So we've got huge silos on, on one side and huge silos on the other side. What's the vision of, of making these happen? So fire away, whichever one you want to take a look at first. I'll bring it all together for you. It's uh I, I was asked at the very beginning of this, some of the funders, they said, well, Aaron, why aren't you choosing to do like a three-year pilot instead of a one-year pilot? And I said, to be frank with you, we don't need to be doing any pilots. Mm-hmm. This has been done before. It's been proven. This needs to be a permanent part of our healthcare industry. How many times mm-hmm. do we have to relearn something, right? It's I like, know. Quit, quit like, doing a study for the sake of doing a study. Yeah, we know this works. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so from the very beginning, and, you know, some people were like, oh, Aaron, you haven't even started yet, you know, and I'm like, I don't care. Like, this has been done. We need to start thinking like 20 steps ahead. And how can we make a tunnel to this? And how do we get, like you said, the doctors, the dietitians, the nurses, and also the agricultural people on board? And I thought the key was building the bridge between the two. Mm -hmm. And that's what I said at No Till on the Plains. I said, just the fact that you have a gerontologist speaking at an agricultural conference, we're getting somewhere, you know? And, you know, I was like, kudos to you guys for, for doing that. And that public health needs to be having more agricultural speakers because public health is agriculture. And until that's really seen, then we're not going to get anywhere. And my whole deal is, there are billions of dollars put in R&D for prescription drugs. Why am I sitting over here? And not to, you know, not to say I'm not grateful at all. I mean, that completely am. But why am I sitting here having to write grants for fruits and vegetables that we know heal people with no side effects? Why are we doing this? And that we need to create a funding stream for this, which means to me, it means that the insurance needs to pay because they're going to save billions of dollars paying for this. 
and it's going to have a giant ripple effect. So uh, other places have passed some similar laws, not specific for sourcing for regenerative farming, which is my how I want to take the food as medicine movement a step further. But they have passed laws where their state Medicaid would pay for food. Now, my thing is, is we've got to have some sourcing requirements so that we can have integrity and we can ensure that the food as medicine is medicine because people like to throw around that term lots of times. They like to say food as medicine, which it certainly is. But we know because of just, for example, Dan Kittredge's work, we know how vast the nutrient density variations are. I mean, they're incredibly vast. With spinach, he said 365 to one. So you mean I have to eat 365 pieces of the most efficient spinach to get what I could get in one? Like we're talking very inefficient eating and a waste and people, even wealthy people thinking what they're getting at Whole Foods and organic is healthy. And we have to, put some stipulations in the sourcing requirements If the insurance is going to pay, they're going to save the money. And it's also going to impact the individual, which I think is the most you know important thing. But I always say, if you don't care about humans, you know that this is going to save you a lot of money. So there, it's a no brainer to me. So what Jimmy Emmons and I have really done, and we've really partnered a lot with the Conservation Commission here in Oklahoma, is we have gone to the Capitol because we need to pass some laws and the state Medicaid of Oklahoma, which here is called Sooner Care, should be paying for fresh RX. There's no question in my mind, they've just expanded Medicaid for the first time in Oklahoma. We're way behind on that, but thank God we're doing it. And we've teamed up with uh, the Diabetes Caucus. I did a presentation on sourcing requirements and how we should do that. Uh, most of those awesome uh, senators and legislators are Democrats, but since we're Republic, Republican dominated, you know, we really need a Republican who would advocate for this. And we got a referral to Senator Jessica Garvin, who I immediately went into her office. I said about five words and she said, I'm on board. She actually runs a nursing home in Duncan, Oklahoma, where they grow their own food. She has been highlighted in magazines for local food growing and with healthcare and long-term care. And I said, we got to get healthcare, long-term care, agriculture, and public health all together so that we can really transform this. So we have been in talks with the Oklahoma Healthcare Authority, who's over Sooner Care on, hey, is this even something we need to pass a bill on? Or is this something we can just start billing? What's the billing code? And essentially, you'd have pharmacies with an F pharmacies that would just, the doctor would write a prescription, just like we're doing now with the grant funds. And then we would actually get reimbursed from Sooner Care, and that's how it would be paid for. There are some other uh, healthcare insurance companies kind of moving that direction. There's Mom's Meals, which is a big corporation. They do home-delivered meals. Um, they're pre-made meals, and I have asked over and over again, what's, what's the sourcing on that? And how can we, even as Fresh RX or, or somebody in my organization, even backdoor some of these uh, distribution centers and these, uh, these benefits that are already coming through insurances, how can we get them to source local food? And would love to have more conversations on that because that is what is really, to me, going to exponentially 
create all these healthcare outcomes that we're looking for, which would not only, you know, benefit the individual, save us all this money. Uh, I spoke at the Kansas Governor's Public Health Conference. So we're now in talks with the public health secretary there in Kansas. We have lawyers from Mississippi who've been reaching out to us. They're wanting to pass similar bills. And it kind of depends on the state. And then there's also federal conversations on food as medicine. It's really, really excited me. The last one they had, they had like, I think this was their seventh conversation at the DC level. And they had doctors on there talking regenerative farming. And my mind just like, like, this is so amazing that at least it's in conversation. I do see this becoming federal law. I do see this becoming a benefit for people that's paid for by insurance. There's no other way because, you know, we can always do stuff out of the goodness of our hearts and lots of people do, but there's no reason why we shouldn't be paid to do this, especially when it saves so much more money. The farmers should be incentivized. The doctors, we find that's why the Fresh Arts program works so well is that the doctors are the champions for this program. And it's funny because it's like, we've been trained to, to trust people in the white coat for good or, or other reasons. And when it comes from them and it's an actual prescription, I always say when the participants come to pick up their food, I'm like, make sure to eat all your prescriptions. And somehow, because we've been trained this way, right, to take our, our prescriptions religiously as we should, same thing goes for healthy food. And so I think just building this bridge and really creating the permanent infrastructure is the way to go without a doubt. You almost wonder a lot of healthcare programs have a Fitbit related uh, reward incentive program right. or minor discount in the premium. If you hit your Fitbit walking goals per day and those kind of things, you almost wonder if there couldn't be a, a similar type of incentive program that uh, they could incorporate with a prescription or with a, you know, food type uh, reality to it. Just something that's a smaller step because uh, I have a saying that uh, bureaucracies move at glacial speed you know, it <laughs> yeah. needs to happen. I agree. It needs to happen, but boy, if there's some little incremental steps we could do in the meantime, that can make a, that can make a big difference. But so talk, that's, that's on the, 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 the healthcare blob, the government insurance, uh, you know, medical, uh, arena. Talk to us on the farmer side, I guess what if, so we have a lot of farmers listening to our podcast here today and what would you want a farmer to know that, that maybe they, they simply don't know? Okay. I mean, just what, what are some key things that you would, and, and how would you, how would you teach them and, and how would you encourage them to change their behavior, change their thinking or change what they're doing? Yeah, it's a tough one. I said it no till on the plains that just the courage to be learning different techniques that your father might disagree with, or your grandfather might disagree with, or that you might look different than your neighbors is tough. And the courage to just even explore those things should be validated. And I always say that farmers, that through my understanding, farmers are the true longevity heroes, that without healthy food, we're not going to be doing well. People think we're living longer, but we might, but we're drooling in skilled nursing facilities on 20 prescription drugs. That's not living. And farmers are very concerned with their legacy as a lot of people are, and rightfully so. And this is a legacy that you can certainly leave. 
that we knew a certain way of farming before, that we've been incentivized for a certain style of farming. And now we know more, we understand more. We understand how depleted our soil health has been. And really your asset is your soil. And if you're depleting your asset, that's not really leaving a legacy to the next generation. And it's through these processes, these even very simple things that, you know, they're simple. And then obviously there's, there, it's more to actually implement things. So I don't want to minimize that, but just starting with one practice, cover crops and how that really revolutionizes how much inputs you have to put on. So it really saves you money. And the farmers, I really want to encourage that give something a shot. Even if you have 200 acres, you just try something on one to 10 acres. You will be able to see within a year, the transformation that happens. You'll be able to see that your, your soil infiltrates water and holds water better. You'll be able to see that animals are happier. Your, your crops are better. You'll be able to see these things. You'll be able to see the amount of money that you would save. And in relationship to a Fresh RX program, as we get these laws passed, as we get funding streams for these things, farmers are often asking me when I talk about pressure X, you know, how do I get involved in that? How do I participate? Because it seems very meaningful and it, and it certainly is. And I say, you know, even if you did a quarter acre of fruits and vegetables and we have a secured marketing and market for you to sell that stuff, uh, that would be something that would be incredible. And if that's something you're willing to do and would be an incredible legacy because you know this, this food, not only, it's not like you're growing all this stuff to be shipped somewhere that's not even used in your community, but this would be things you're growing that are impacting people, incredible need in your direct community. And it could be your mother or your uncle or your aunt or your cousin that are getting this food medicine that you're growing, like what incredible legacy that would be. And then also being able to provide that to your family and to mitigate these food deserts where people are just buying food from Dollar General. And it is the increase of chronic conditions that is absolutely depleting our quality of life. Like when you don't feel well, you're not gonna go to your daughter's recital or you're not gonna go enjoy hanging out with friends as much. I mean, it impacts so much and things that you couldn't even foresee. And it is a step of faith and it is at risk of looking weird to your neighbors. I know that's a big, big concern. And I have to tell you that, you know, even, even as good as we've talked about the impact of the work that I do, and there are still people that have a problem with it. It's like the, be it's like the better you do, the more, you know, haters you essentially have and just connect with those farmers that are doing this regenerative movement and making these changes and talk to the people who actually have experience doing it because it is what I found in this regenerative space, this community of regenerative people with this mindset and these hearts, they get it and you're not alone. And it takes people to step out on a limb and try things new, or we wouldn't be flying airplanes, or we wouldn't have iPhones, or we wouldn't have all these other things that really connect us and help us not only leave home, but come back to home. And it is through all these things that 
really taking a chance, we would really never, we'd never go to the moon or even think about going to Mars. So if we can really transform what our world looks like here, and you might look a little weird to your neighbors, but what you have to realize is that if you have a problem with them, you know, thinking something weird about you, if you feel stable in yourself truly, and you know, this is the pathway and you see the numbers for yourself, the other farmers can tell you have already implemented this. The, the numbers speak, we all know that, they speak. And so it is through that, that you become the example to health and to a true legacy. And eventually people will come around. It's gonna, people will be triggered because they're like, wait, does that mean I was doing something wrong? Or they'll have their own experience, but you just hold space for that and hold space for your own legacy and know, you have to know in yourself that this is the right movement, the right way forward. Because if the science tells us the people in, in the community of regenerative space, they know this. And it is a really beautiful thing. And once you see it, you'll never go back. So just take the chance. Yeah, it requires a different level of thinking and it requires a willingness to be wrong because right. occasionally things when you try something new don't work and that's okay. But you learned so much along the way of what you would do different the next time. And that, that's the way I've always looked at it when farming. I uh, We do some things and there'll be tremendous failures, but we'll learn you know, two, three, ten things that we need to do differently next time. So yeah, it's... Uh, it's pretty fascinating and, and don't worry about what the, don't worry what, what the neighbors think. I, I agree yeah. with you hundred percent. So, um, so talk to me looking in the future, uh, 10 years from now, Aaron, paint the picture of the ideal food and healthcare world. Oh boy. Well, you know, I do think that suffering is a part of the lifespan. I mean, having a baby is, is hard. I mean, they're losing people in your life. Uh, people will die. We don't live forever. There is certain necessary suffering and through, through some of those failures or losses, we really have the opportunity to grow and to develop. And, and that's really just the way that the world is, but we have the potential to really reduce a lot of unnecessary suffering. There's so much that's going on in the world, in our healthcare system that's not working, and the food system that's only really exacerbating chronic conditions and suffering. So I really see that food as medicine becomes a very regular part of our everyday and that it's accessible. And not only would it be food, but it would be local food and that we would not only be healthier, but we would be creating a healthy sovereign, sustainable, regenerative community in our own areas, and then also connecting those local systems. So into more regional systems, and we really create that for ourselves, that we don't wait for the government to decide to do it, and that we can mobilize and impact our direct community, but then also connect with other communities and create models that other communities can do that. And I really see the healthcare industry and the long-term care industry and agricultural industry really combining efforts and really flooding each other's veins and really continuing to plant these seeds and watching the mycelium connections in all these 
different entities really start to connect and that we come out of really working in our silos and just ignoring other things and really infiltrating each other for the best life that we can have while we're here, we might as well. And I think it's the healing of ourselves through this food process that will help us even be more conscious about even other issues that we may need to attack. It goes into mental health. It goes into so many other things that people don't even take at first glance. So I think that in five years, we're going to have this be a reimbursable federally that people who provide food through food distribution will be more conscious that, you know, even in two weeks, I'm having a meeting with the food bank. They want to source local food. I'm like, okay, I've been waiting for that. Thank you. (laughs) We need to like all these places that distribute food, like mass produced food. I think we're going to slowly start seeing less of that and more source, more direct connections of individuals to their local farms. Farmers will become pharmacists and individuals will become self-healers. And that's where we see communities absolutely thrive in ways that we haven't seen in a long, long time. That's a great vision. And I really appreciate that. And, And it's amazing how just the slow progression over time how we've, how we've gotten so far off track, you know, and we don't even notice it. And, and yeah. now there's a major course correction we need to make to, to bring it back. And there's, there's a lot of vested interests in doing the things the way we're currently doing them. And a lot of uh, minds that are vested in doing things the way we're currently doing them. So, you know, it's, uh, I, I agree, you know, ultimately, uh, as, uh, my Will fr- friend, Will Harris, likes to quote, he says, there's only three things in the world that you cannot hide. He says, one is the sun, one is the moon, and the third is the truth. Eventually, you'll see mm-hmm. all three. Not his original quote, but I love how he says it. And I think this is uh, a matter of great soil health, makes great food, makes healthy lives. You can't hide that. Yeah. You know, eventually, it will come to light. And I really appreciate everything that you're doing to, to make that possible, Aaron. Um, Tulsa could be the uh, shining example for the rest of the country to follow. And and that's pretty exciting. So folks want to connect with you, um, website, social media, what are some of the best ways to connect with you and follow along with what you're doing and, and how you're changing lives for the better? Absolutely. You can find me on any social media platform. You're just Uh, everywhere. Oh, I'm everywhere. Yeah. YouTube conscious, conscious aging solutions is my organization. Of course, FreshRx has its own, uh, freshrxok.org, FreshRx Oklahoma on both Facebook and Instagram, Conscious Aging Solutions, both on Facebook and Instagram, consciousagingsolutions.com. All my podcasts and YouTube uh, videos are on the YouTube and also on a page called Podcasts on my website. You can absolutely connect with me via email from those platforms. Emails are on there, phone numbers on there. Please reach out let's connect. And I'm just super excited. I think that I love that quote you just shared. Also, I think people want a silver bullet. They want a magic pill that's going to fix this. And what I say is nothing is going to replace the wisdom of tens of thousands, a hundred thousand. I mean, so many more years than we even know, no one's going to replace the wisdom of the soil and the microbiome of that, that reflects in our own bellies. It's not going to be recreated in a lab. It's, there's not a short fix. 
this is the way we've got to we've got to move. We've overcomplicated. Let's move back to simple and let's reconnect with ourselves and the earth because there's there's nothing that replaces it. It was given to us and it's here for us to be stewards of. That is an excellent, excellent point. Kim will have all the links in the in the notes of where we can connect with you and those kind of things. And I certainly want to thank you for all the hard work that you're doing. Uh, you're definitely swimming upstream right now. But the neat part is eventually, uh, my, my hope is in my lifetime, I see regenerative ag as the conventional ag. So I uh, Amen. look forward to that. And I think it's going to change a lot of uh, lives and generations to come. So we've done a lot of things to kind of mess up a few generations here, but uh, regenerative uh, soil, regenerative uh, food, and people can regenerate themselves and uh, get back to healthier living, like you said, a healthier social network too. So thank you so much, Aaron. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you all so much. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to our conversation today. Like many of our guests, Aaron has a fire and passion to explore, learn, and solve some of the challenges we face today. And the great thing is, it's an exciting discovery for our health. She's also intent on working with farmers to help facilitate growing great food, and that's great for us. And to learn more about what we're doing to help growers implement soil health practices, check out our website at asn.farm. And there you can click on links to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. There's a lot of great things happening and always something to learn. Thanks for listening.